Hello again, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ, and I am excited about the lesson that you're about to hear. In October and November of 2005 at the Franklin Church of Christ, we conducted our second annual Fall Focus. This year, it was on the family. The lesson that you're about to hear is the very first one in the series that we presented built by the Lord. This lesson is entitled, Unless the Lord Builds the House, and comes from our theme verse, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. We want to learn from this verse what it means to let the Lord build the house. So please, open your Bibles to Psalm 127, and let's learn about God being involved in our homes. How important is family to you? What are you willing to do to strive to make sure that you can have a stable and functional family? Are you willing to work long hours to make sure that you can provide materially for your family? Are you willing to stay up late and get up early to make sure that you can meet all the goals and accomplish all the activities that you have to accomplish with you and your family? Are you willing to pursue education, material goods, recreation, entertainment, and comfort to provide for the peace of your family? Will you read books? You know, if you go to Amazon.com and just type in the word marriage, that'll come back with 21,486 books on marriage. How about videos? Will you watch videos? Go to counselors. Just how important is having a stable and functional family to you? What are you willing to do to have a good family? Here's the question. Are you willing to let the Lord build your home? Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, cuts right to the heart of the matter. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist there says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. What the psalmist points out to us is that for all that we are willing to do to help our families be functional and stable, everything amounts to nothing more than spinning our wheels unless we are willing to bring God into the picture. Unless we are willing to allow God to build our house, unless we are willing to allow God to guard our homes, unless we are willing to bring God into the picture, everything else we do is for naught. But when we bring God into the picture, God can even bless us while we are sleeping. But apart from God, it is useless for us to burn the candle at both ends. It's useless for us to run around and work and go to school and all those things that we do. But when God is there, then we can have that functional and stable home. As Jimmy pointed out earlier, we're beginning our fall focus today. This is our second one that we've had last year. We focused on prayer this year. We're focusing on the family, and I am excited about it. We've got several good lessons lined up. You've even got some good speakers coming this year, which is a plus from last year. 
We've got several guys, Mike Waters and Tim Green and Jim Deason and Phil Cavender are going to be preaching for us over the next four weeks as we go through this focus. It's going to be an exciting time. As we go through this focus, we're going to be learning all kinds of things about family. We're going to be learning about marriage. We're going to be learning about how to build up the relationship between husbands and wives. We're going to learn about parenting and how to improve that relationship between parents and children. We're going to learn about stewardship. We're going to learn about faith in the family. We're going to learn about goals and roles in the family. All kinds of things that we're going to be doing over the next five weeks. And I invite you to be a part of that. I encourage you to participate fully in that. Be here at every single one of those services. We're going to, it's, it, it's five weeks, but it encompasses six Sundays because the first one and the last one, five weeks, six Sundays. Be here for all of those Sunday lessons. We're going to have 12 of them all about the family. I encourage you to do that. Today, at the close of service, we didn't have it out yet because I didn't want you being distracted by the picture of our wonderful elders on the back and, and sitting there looking at that instead of listening to the lesson. But at the end of the service today, Brother Dale is going to have it out at the back of the auditorium the books that we're going to be going through. I encourage you to pick up one copy per family. And there's a reading every day with some exercises that I encourage you to go through with your family every day. Plus, in addition to that, We've announced it and talked about it several times. We have several, uh, we have four, I should say, small groups that are being set up to go through some group discussion that's also included in those books. We invite you to sign up for one of those if you haven't yet. There's some sign-up sheets outside, excuse me, in the foyer as you're about to go outside. That hot pink bulletin board that's up there has the sign-up sheets. And just so you'll know, the group that's meeting at David and Paulette's on Friday that begins this Friday. But because you have to go through the whole week's reading to be able to do the group discussion, all the other groups won't actually start until next week. So Tuesday night, Thursday, those won't start this week. Those will start next week for the small groups, just making sure that's clear. I was telling Marie on the way up here, one of the things that I've learned from this fall focus is that just because you have something in your mind doesn't mean you've conveyed it properly to everybody. And uh, a lot of the questions, I hope I, I've got all the stuff about that small group cleared up, what exactly goes, what's going on there. But if you have any questions, come see me. And if you're our guest, you don't have to be a member of the congregation to get one of the books. You don't have to be a member of the congregation to be involved in one of the small groups. If you're interested in, in being a part of that, getting together with some Christians to talk about the family, just let me know or talk to one of the members and they'll guide you to our elders and we'll show you where to sign up and get you hooked up with whoever is leading that so that you can be a part of that group as well. That's all those things that we're going to be doing. I hope that you can be a part of that. The reason we're doing this is because we want homes built by the Lord. Like Matthew chapter 7, we want to parallel what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. As He concluded His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of Mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of Mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. We, with our homes, want to be like that wise man. Our homes built upon the rock so that we can stand strong against the storms that Satan will send our way. And we want to overcome those and live through those. Our entire series is inspired by this verse that we have here. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. 
We want the Lord to build our homes. As we begin the series today, we just want to take a look at this. And start off by looking a little deeper at what this means. Because of verses 3 and 4 in this psalm, and 5 where it says in Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They'll not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Because of those verses, we typically take a look at this psalm and view it as almost solely and completely about the home and family. But if we take a look at it from a historical context, I think we'll see, see it from a different angle that might provide a little more insight to us, even as we apply what it says to the home and family. If you look there in your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen, but if you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that at the top, right beneath where it says Psalm 127, you may have a little heading there that says something about the psalm, but then all of us have where it says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. You see that? This psalm is attributed to Solomon. And when we consider Solomon, the king of Israel during its golden age, what house was Solomon most concerned with building? Solomon was the king who built the temple. And so if Solomon was concerned about building a house, while he was certainly, I'm sure, concerned about his own home and his own family, as evidenced by the books that he wrote, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs especially, We recognize that Solomon was intensely concerned about building this house dedicated to God. And then we recognize, of course, that Solomon is king, king of Israel. What what city do you think Solomon would be most concerned about being guarded? Well, of course, that city in which the house of God dwelt, that city that was the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. Solomon was intensely concerned about that, and he recognized that unless the Lord builds this house, this temple's not doing us any good. Unless the Lord guards the city, there's nothing we can do that will help us. Further, you'll notice in that heading it calls it a song of ascents. The ascent psalms were the psalms that the Jewish people sang as they traveled pilgrimaging from their homes up the mountains to Jerusalem for those three annual feasts that they had. All of those psalms in that section of Scripture there that say Song of Ascent, these were the ones that they would sing and and use to praise and worship God as they were on their way every year, three times a year, to praise and worship God in His city, in His house. And so here they are reminding themselves as they're traveling and preparing to worship God at His house, in His city, they're reminding themselves that unless the Lord builds this house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, they, the watchman keeps awake in vain. What we find in this psalm, while there's certainly application to our families, primarily for Israel, when this was written, it had national meaning for them. And when we look at it, we realize that these two verses were the crux of everything dealing with Israel. They had to learn that if they wanted to be protected, they had to lean on God. They could raise all kinds of money. They could put together all kinds of materials. They could build a beautiful temple. They could wall their city. It could be up at the top of a hill. They could keep watchmen on it. But unless they were serving God faithfully, it wasn't going to do any good. And what I want us to do this morning is take a look through the Scripture at some issues about that house and about that city that apply from these verses. And take a look at how God built that house and that city and how that worked. 
And from that parallel, just as the Israelites did, looking at their nation, at their city, at their house of God, and then applied it to their families, I want us to do the same. That's what we're going to be doing this morning. The very first thing, as we take a look at the Lord building the house, if we want the Lord to build our house and build our home, the very first thing we have to do is invite God in and acknowledge God's work. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we're aware that David had the idea. He said, I'm, I'm living in a house of cedar, but God's ark is in a tent. I want to build a house. And so instead of just going out and doing it, he called on God's prophet, Nathan. And he asked Nathan for Nathan's advice. And as it turned out, Nathan finally said to him, No, David, God doesn't want you to do that. Your son is going to do that. But what you can do, David found out, is he could prepare for it. And so that's exactly what he did. And in First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2, it says, Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God. As he's talking to his son, as he's talking to the children of Israel. But then later in First Chronicles chapter 29, we find the prayer. Beginning at verse 10, he says, Blessed are you, First Chronicles 29 and 10, excuse me, First Chronicles 29 verse 10. Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Verse 14, he turns to the matter at hand. He says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you, and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and all is yours. Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I in the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you and give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes and to do them all and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then, the Lord, then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. Here we find David. All the work that he had done, but here he invites God to be involved in this. He says, incline my son's heart to build this temple. And notice the acknowledgement that he grants to God for all the things that he had done and for all the collection that they had made. He said, where did we get this stuff? It came from you. We're not able to offer this because of our own strength. He acknowledged God and said, it's because of your generosity, the generous nature that you've had with us that we're able to give in order to build this temple. And then we flip a few pages over and we find Solomon who does indeed build this temple. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 10, we find him acknowledging God in all of this. He says, Now the Lord, Second Chronicles 6 and verse 10, The Lord has fulfilled His word which He spoke. For I have risen in the place of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. He said, God has fulfilled His promise. And I've built this house. It's because of God. And then we take a look at his prayer. In First Chronicles, keep saying first. In Second Chronicles, chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, 
He says, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who has kept with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your sons take heed to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. Verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays for you, that your eye may be open toward this house day and night, toward the place of which you have said that you would put your name there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Then he goes on and, and repeats that request over and over again using various circumstances saying, God, please be with this house and be with your people who pray. We recognize that, that you don't live in this house. You can't dwell in a house made with men's hands. But we pray that you would condescend to us to listen to our prayers as we pray and worship you through this house. To be here. And he invites God to be a part of it. And God answers in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. In verse 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Solomon invited God to be involved with this house and God accepted. And Solomon acknowledged God's involvement in the building of the house. And God was glorified and praised. The same is true for our homes. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 says that we should ask and it will be given to us. Seek and we'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And it points out that our Father in Heaven is a loving Father who gives good gifts to those who ask Him. Our God wants to bless our families. He wants to provide for those families. But He gives these blessings to those who ask. How many families have been spinning their wheels to have a functional and stable home but God's gifts have gone unopened in their home because they have not consistently invited Him in to be a part of their home. Our God, the most powerful being in the universe, will not force His way into our homes. He will only come as we ask Him. And will only continue to be with us as we continue to acknowledge Him. As Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 says, Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and He will make your paths straight. We need to acknowledge God. Why were we able to get up this morning? Because of the grace of God. Why were we able to work? Because God had given us ability. Why do we have this home in which we live? Because God has been merciful to us and we need to acknowledge God's involvement. We need to praise and glorify Him in our homes. If we want the Lord to build our house. We have to invite Him in. We have to acknowledge Him. Secondly, we have to follow God's pattern. I don't know how many times I've read the book of First Chronicles, but I guess I just always just sped on past First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 19 especially. 
I remember that in the book of Exodus, when God had Moses build the tabernacle, He gave him step-by-step instructions, gave him a pattern. We've often talked about the pattern that God gave for the tabernacle. In fact, as you read through that last part of Exodus, it's almost like you're reading certain chapters just over again because God gives the pattern and it goes through it step-by-step and then the people follow the pattern. It basically just says the same thing uh, over and over again in those two different sections. And then I thought about the temple. Well, what happened with the temple? Was Solomon just allowed to do whatever he wanted as he built the temple? And just recently, in fact, as I was preparing for the class that we're having in our auditorium right now, taking a look at this time period when the temple was built, I was reading through First Chronicles and came to First Chronicles 28, and beginning at verse 11 it says, Then David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple, its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat, and the plan of all that he had in mind for the courts of the house of the Lord, and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of God, for the storehouses of the dedicated things. And, and on it goes, talking about the priests and the utensils and all the different things that they would do. And then in verse 19 it says, this is First Chronicles 28, 19, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by His hand upon me all the details of the pattern. How did they know how to build the temple? God gave them a pattern. Solomon was not given free reign. David didn't say, well, look at all this stuff I got you, son. You go build a house for the Lord. You do what you think is best. He was given the details of the pattern and Solomon had to follow that pattern. I don't know that Solomon liked all of the pattern. In fact, I can imagine that there may have been some things that Solomon, if left to himself, would have done differently. I don't know what a king of a nation would think about building a room that he was never allowed to go in. Especially if that room was the place where the high priest would get to go and speak to God once a year. He may not have liked that. I don't know. But whether he liked it or not, Solomon had to follow God's pattern as he built this temple. And the same is true for our families. When we take a look at our families, if we want the Lord to build our home, we're not free to do what we want in our homes. We're not free to build our homes however we desire. We must follow God's pattern. We must take a look at what He says about the family in the world, about the role of the family, about what makes up a family. And we've got to follow His pattern. We've got to take a look at the roles of the individual members as God has delineated in His Word. And we're not free to do whatever we want. We've got to follow His pattern. Even if there are things that we don't really like about it, we've got to trust Him. I hope you can recognize as we take a look at these two first points here, the foundation that we're laying for the house built by the Lord. The home that is built by the Lord is one that is a praying home, one that is a Bible-applying home. Without prayer and application of what we read in the Scriptures to our homes, everything else we do is useless. But we begin this God-built home through prayer and through applying what we study in the Scriptures to our homes. But we don't stop there. That's the beginning, but it's not the end. We need to remember that we have to work. When we take a look at this historical context and we take a look at what happened with the Temple of Jerusalem and what happened with the city of God, Jerusalem, we understand that we cannot take Psalm 127 and verse 2 and push it farther than God intended. It does say it's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. It points out that if you don't have God as part of what you're doing, then all the work you are doing is pointless. And then it does say that even when you're asleep, if you're God's servant, even when you're not doing anything, God can bless you. But God didn't intend Psalm 127 and verse 2 to be the sum total of our work ethic. 
God was not trying to tell us that in our homes or in any endeavor, all we do is read our Bibles and pray a prayer, and then we just sit back and God will take care of everything else all by Himself. That's not what David did. That's not what Solomon did. We already learned in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2, David said, "...with all my ability I have provided for this house." In 2 Chronicles verses two, or chapter 2 through 4, we see all the work that Solomon did in order to build the house. They acknowledged God. They recognized God's grace and mercy. They recognized God's strength and power and the foundation that they had resting on God and His will to build this house. But they didn't think they were then allowed to just go in and study the law and pray a prayer and then God would construct the temple. They recognized that they had to work. Let's take it a step further and think about that city of God, Jerusalem. After it had been destroyed, Nehemiah comes back to the city. And he wants to build this city that's going to be protected by God. And in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8, as he's talking about why he's having such success, he says, the good hand of God was on me. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18, he told the people how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and about the king's words which he had spoken to me. But they didn't stop there. If we keep going in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18, then they said, let us arise and build so they put their hands to the good work. It wasn't enough to study the law and just trust God. They put their hands to the good work. And then in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6, despite the fact that the enemies were opposing them, despite the fact that everyone else was against them, they were working and building the wall. And it says in Nehemiah 4 and verse 6, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half a tight, for the people had a mind to work. If we want God to build our homes, we've got to have a mind to work and we've got to put our hands to the work. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Those who were involved in our focus last year about prayer will remember this verse. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God has the power to do more than we can imagine, but He works it through us. God has the power in your family to do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think, but He'll do it by the power working in us, in you. And so, yes, there will be times when you arise early and you stay up late. There will be times when you're eating the bread of painful labor. God was not saying we would never, ever do those things. What He was pointing out was that we've got to have the foundation in God first for those things to be beneficial at all. But once we've laid that foundation, then we put our hands to the work. And we have to have a mind to work, to do what God has said, to work in our homes. We continue on. And we learn that we must not procrastinate the spiritual. In about 537 B.C., the Israelites who had been taken captive by Assyria and Babylon were released by Cyrus, the king of Medo-Persia, who had come in and conquered the land, to go back to their homeland, to rebuild the city of God and to rebuild the house of God. And when they got there, Ezra chapter 3 points out that in the very first year, they rebuilt the altar, and they started sacrificing and praising God, and they... The very second year, according to Ezra chapter 3, they laid the foundation of the temple with a great shout and praising of God. But as they continued on to build the temple, something caused a problem. 
And in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 4 it says, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. They stopped them from building. And for 16 years, the foundation of the Lord's house lay there, empty, devoid, of a temple. What happened? No doubt the enemies initially frustrated them, but that was small potatoes compared to what the real issue was. The real issue was the complacency of the children of Israel. You see, though they started off with a bang to build the temple, in time it appears that they just became used to not having a temple, to just having an empty foundation. And we find Haggai. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, the prophet, one of the prophets that God sent to Israel during this time. And in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1 it says, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. In verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You be put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Notice what he says here. They had become complacent. They had gotten used to no temple. They had their own houses. They were sowing in their fields. They were going on about their daily lives. Maybe someday they'd have a little extra time to deal with the temple. In fact, it was a sad cycle that had gotten started. Because they were so focused on their own lives and were procrastinating the spiritual, God was not blessing their lives. And so they were having to work more and more just to get by. The more they worked, the less time they had to focus on the spiritual, the less time they were spending dealing with the temple, the more God was getting mad at them, the less He blessed them. It was just this terrible cycle that went down. And God said, that, look, there's only one way to deal with this. Deal with the temple right now. Deal with the spiritual right now. And the same is true for us. How often can we get sidetracked with our daily pursuits? The pursuit of secular education, of a career, of social involvement, all of those things. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but they have to have their proper place. And we constantly go through day to day doing all of those things, and we just, like Israel, we plan to get to the spiritual, we just don't have time right now. It's not the time for it right now. We keep thinking there will be time later, and there just never is. Don't be distracted from the spiritual. As Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 points out, we've got to keep our eyes on heaven, not on the earth. Keep the proper perspective. Don't, don't procrastinate the spiritual. Don't get distracted from what's truly important. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness in your home. And finally, never stop serving God. All the way back in Exodus chapter 32, from the very beginning of their history, they had just been delivered from Egypt. The ten plagues crossing the Red Sea. And they get out to the mountain. And Moses goes up to the mountain and is gone for a couple weeks. And the children of Israel turn to idolatry and make a calf. 
And in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 4, they say, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And there we see the beginning of what Israel does over and over and over again. God blesses them, but then they forget Him and turn to idolatry. He oppresses them through the foreign nations. Eventually, they humbly cry out to them, to Him. He delivers them, and then it all starts over again. And God had promised from the very beginning that that's what was going to happen, and as it continued to happen, He was eventually going to remove them from their promised land. And He did exactly that. And in fact, He finally did the unthinkable. The city where He placed His name, the house where He condescended to dwell, He abandoned. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and tore the walls of that city down because God was no longer protecting and guarding it and destroyed that temple because God was no longer building it. And for 70 years and more, the city and the temple lay in ruins. God's city. The house God built. Why? Toward the end of that 70 years, Daniel, having read the book of Jeremiah, turns to God in prayer. And his prayer, I think, provides the greatest description of why God did that. In Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 4, he says, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Daniel 9 and verse 5 says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all of the land. Verse 8, Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 10, Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings, which He set before us through His servants, the prophets. Verse 11, Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we sinned against Him. Daniel says this is why. God abandoned His city and His house because God's people abandoned Him. And we've got to learn this for our homes today. We cannot bank our homes on a few good days, months, or years of serving the Lord. We've got to be committed to serving the Lord continually. Because for all the blessings that God will give us if we cease to serve the Lord, if we become full and become happy with ourselves and think that we've accomplished what we're dealing with and turn from the Lord and rebel and do not listen to His message, then God will abandon us. Never stop serving the Lord. Continue to build your house on the Lord no matter what's happening. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. You remember the parallel we started with? There are two different houses. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, there was the house of the wise man who built his house on the foundation of God's Word. And there was the person who didn't. Is the Lord building your house? I hope you recognize from that passage in Matthew chapter 7 that when the Lord builds your house, that doesn't mean you won't go through storms. That doesn't mean you won't have bad times. That doesn't mean there won't be fights. That doesn't mean there won't be layoffs. That doesn't mean there won't be sicknesses. That doesn't mean there won't be dark days. In fact, brethren, that doesn't even mean there won't be days when you wonder, is God still with us? 
You read through the Bible, there were people that were dealing with that all the time. But what they did was they continued on saying, I mean, Job even said, even though He slay me, I will still hope in Him. How often do we pray, God, if You'll do this, I'll hope in You. Job says, God, even if You don't do anything, I'll still hope in You. Even if You kill me, I'll still hope in You because He realized that's, that's what's going to bring me through in the end. No matter what's going on now. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 points out that the Lord built by the house doesn't avoid the storms. But I know I just said the Lord built by the house, didn't I? The house built by the Lord does not avoid the storms. The house built by the Lord continues to hope and trust in Him and comes through the storms. And that's the kind of house we want. I hope this first lesson in our Fall Focus series, Built by the Lord, has been beneficial to you. Let's remember what we learned. If God is going to build our homes, we must first invite Him to be involved and acknowledge His involvement through prayer. Second, we must study and apply His Word following His pattern. Third, we must have a mind to work and put our hands to the good work. Fourth, we must not get distracted and procrastinate the spiritual. Finally, fifth, we must never stop serving the Lord. I hope this has been beneficial to you, and I hope you will listen to our entire series on Built by the Lord. If you have any questions about the home and family, about what the Scripture says about the family or any other topic, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to contact us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If someone gave you this lesson on tape or on CD, let me encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. On that website, we've got numerous articles and also lessons in outline and audio format, and you're free to download them and use them in whatever way you believe will glorify God and benefit others. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.